You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before its last call. Marilena Barbera is showing the world that Menfi, a tiny ancient village in Sicily, sitting on the edge of the Mediterranean, is making incredible wines. I guess their 3,000-plus years of winemaking is paying off. Thank you, Marlena, uh, for being on the DOTJ podcast. Um, you are your wines, Cantina Barbera, is putting the small ancient village of Memphi on the map, um, and certainly in the spotlight. You're a visionary and a, and in a, a traditionalist at the same time. Uh, your wines are spectacular. But let's um, uh, before we really get into Memphi, where it is and what it's about. Uh, le- tell me, give me like a five minute short story of like what it was like child, what it was like as a child growing up in this uh, small, you know, beautiful town and. Uh, you know, just being there? Uh, it's, it's a very simple life. Um, my parents are both from here, and uh, my grandfather uh, and grandmothers were from here. So that's the uh, vineyards and farms and the little, uh, little tiny, tiny villages. Is, uh, all of that is part of my childhood. I grew here, uh, and uh, uh, it was a uh, very serene, uh, no problem, nothing in my mind, the kind of life mm-hmm. until I was 12. Uh, at 12 years old, I was sent to Florence, uh, where I started studying the classical study, what we in Italy call Liceo Classico. So mm-hmm. that would be about uh, late, ancient Latin, ancient Greek history and philosophy for about five years in Florence. Um, and then I went to university in Florence, where I got my university degree. Uh, and I spent a few years after, after university uh, traveling the north of Italy. Mm-hmm. Finally, when I was about uh, 26, 27 years old, I just decided that it was okay for me to come back to mm-hmm. the little village. And right. to the little village, I... Ha- I um, discovered again uh, the quiet place, the vineyard, the countryside, and I fell right. in love again with the place. Right. So I decided to stay. But the original plan was to do what? To stay? Yeah, uh, my original Italy plans? And... No, <laughs> of course not. My original plans were diplomatic career. So I studied um, history, um, law, international law, international economics, and I was supposed to be a diplomat uh, when I was older, when I grew older. But, uh, you know, after, after a few years that you have spent abroad, um, going back to the roots at that point seemed to be the most uh, interesting and the only thing that actually made sense to me. Right. I, I always but, say that a, a lot of uh, people... Uh, particularly in the you know in the early years, uh, they want to get as far away from where they grew up as possible, and then there's always this very incredible journey back to uh, where they yes. came from, um, and you know, it was philosophically or physically, and it was sort of like uh, going back to the roots and uh, taking care ag- again of something that you really didn't 
very much care about when you were younger. But at some point in your lifetime, you, you realize that everything that was abroad was not, nothing very, very important. Right. But everything that was important was at home. Mm-hmm. So and, I wanted and- to come back and I, find, I found the wine, which was uh, probably the most important thing uh, that made me think I wanted to stay and I wanted to come back. And was your father taking care of the vineyards uh, prior to this? Yes. yes. Uh, my grandfather... Uh, since 1920s, he had taken care of the vineyard. And then my father, after him, uh, took care of the vineyard. Uh, so that's the third generation that's here. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, when, I, when I finally got back to Memphis, and I was 26, 27 years old, um, my father was just starting to think about uh, making wine as a business. Because we actually were great grape producers right. uh we used to sell grapes to big wineries uh in memphis or even abroad uh make uh, bulk wine to sell to other cooperative wineries in the territory uh, but we uh, didn't have a wine business like we have today uh so my father at the end of the of last century let's say uh he was uh, actually started to think about making wine as a business and not uh, selling grapes anymore. Mm -hmm. So I helped him to develop a business plan about wine production. Um, but I was, uh, I was an accountant. I was, uh, um, uh, a lawyer. So I, I was not involved in winemaking at the time. So I was like the uh, administrative, uh, legal consultant sure. of, the, for my father. That business background really helped. So, and then you learned yes. how to make wine at the elbow of your father. Uh, yes, that's that's it. Basically, that was it. Uh, my father had um, a winemaker consultant. I studied with him uh, and I started studying um, agriculture and winemaking, uh, let's say for about five, six years. In 2006, my father passed away and I decided that I would be involved in production too. So I quit my job as a law consultant, which I was doing for other people too. And I started doing everything at the winery and to take care only about uh, about wine and winemaking and everything at the winery. So I actually just was, I was um, actually brought in like with two feet inside everything. And I started taking care of everything. And now it's my life. So I'm very happy about so how it, my it, life have, has developed so far. And it seemed like there'd be two battles in front of you, one of which is being a, a woman winemaker. Um, mm-hmm. Let's just say that uh, Italian men aren't known for their deference uh, to uh, women. Uh, yeah. um, so how difficult was that um, after your father passed to now take the helm? Did you get a lot of pushback being a, a woman? Uh, yes and no. I mean, uh, we were and still are a small company. Uh, and it's a family-owned business, and all the family is involved. All the family now means my mother and myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, being two women at the beginning was not very easy to um, have people listen to us, but just because we were in charge and we are in charge of everything, I mean, people have to just stop and listen. Yeah. Um, and uh, if, uh, the, the most difficult part was not in the winemaking, but uh, in the farm. I mean, having those um, uh, guys, boys, and even uh, adult males who uh, had done 
the work for years before. Uh, having them to listen to a woman who says maybe, oh, I don't like this, I don't like that, I would like you to do this the other way, right. I, I would like you to, to try a different path a path with me it was not very easy at the beginning but uh, to have results to bring results and to be able to have uh, sort of like an international recognition to all of that helped a lot mm -hmm. so after let's say 15 years i can say i can tell like everything paid off very well yeah cool so uh your second battle uh would mm -hmm. be um you you actually put Memphi on the label. So let's uh, put that into a broader perspective for people who don't know where Memphi is in Sicily, because lots of people know Etna and they know Palermo, but for wine regions, they know really Etna a lot. And I think um, it was a bold move putting Memphi on. You were probably laughed at by a lot of the locals. Like this is the smallest village on the largest uh, island in Italy. And why would anyone know it? So that seems like it'd be a marketing nightmare um on top of it all and then you you stay true to form with still doing pericone uh um insolite insolia uh, and and real like native varietals um so talk a little bit about that um i think uh, uh choosing Memphi was uh the easiest part the most difficult part was explaining Memphi. Right. i mean Memphi is a very a, it's a really a very special place everybody knows etna because etna is a volcano so it's like a very um um easy um landmark to recognize and to remember hmm. Memphi is just a little village on the coast uh, the fact is the the place is so special ancient and traditional for great growing and winemaking that it totally deserves attention and recognition. Memphi is uh, making wine since uh, the 8th century before Christ, literally. The Greeks coming from Mother, uh, Mother Greece, uh, who uh, actually founded colonies in this area of southwestern Sicily, uh, put their uh, established in, uh, in a village called Serinunte, which is about four kilometers so two miles from my vineyards right uh they brought us um traditional greek grape varieties in zolia is one of them mm -hmm. so zolia has more it's almost three thousand years history here adaptation here they brought us language and culture and wine culture um all of that is a story that not a, a lot of people tell but it, it is worth knowing and rediscovering because the extraordinary link between ancient culture, ancient winemaking, um, traditional grape varieties, and also a traditional way of making wine mm -hmm. makes this place um, very, very special from a cultural point of view, but also from an organoleptic point of view because the wine here joining to uh, mixing together the terroir uh, grape varieties and ancient art of way making makes this place a very very special place mm -hmm. yeah i um i have to uh, talk a little bit about the political push from uh so in 1995 you get the doc uh to put memphi and and it's starting to get discovered and you were definitely mm -hmm. the, the person pushing that uh, and then 2014, there's a, a, another realignment of the DOC, which really now you're fighting against big money, big producers, 
who are trying to come in and just put the, you know, Sicily on the label, which is, we know mm-hmm. is just huge and come from anywhere. And the, and the wine loses its identity. And the fight that you're in is really about a, 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 a lesson in purity and history and um, keeping these riddles. I mean, just the, the um, topography and where you are in location to the ocean, the Mediterranean. Um, I mean, your wines, I have a little bit of uh, the Anzoli in front of me. And the wines have this incredible freshness and herbal savor. You're surrounded by like olive trees and groves. And, and then you can see the Mediterranean and that brackish uh, air, um, that salt is, is, uh, is really evident in the wines where it's got this beautiful kind of saline finish, uh, intensity, mineral component. Um, so to be lumped in to the bigger Sicily just is a disservice, but you're fighting against uh, big money, much like politics anywhere. Well, you know, um, Sicily is a very big island, but you cannot consider it as a terroir. Uh, And that is because Sicily is so diverse. You have seasides, where I am, um, sandy beaches with sandy dunes and wildflowers growing freely on the beach, blue ocean. Uh, The vineyards are about half mile from the ocean. They get all this freshness and salinity, and they develop this uh, uh, herbal, uh, te- texture and feeling like you are, um, you know, using wild herbs like mint. You're using, you're, you're smelling uh, oregano. You're, you're smelling thyme. This kind of, you know, Mediterranean herbs, which are very present in my wines, um, and also in the wines of uh, my terroir. And you also have, uh, if if you go inland, let's say about ten kilometers, which is not Memphis anymore, you have high hills. You you have crops like grain or corn. Um, you have all dry it is totally different and then you 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 go a a little bit inland more and you have like mountains you have the snow inside so inside i mean on the mountains of of sicily the territory is so diverse you cannot talk about a sicilian wine Right. Um, even uh, if you if you think uh, ju- just the, the distance, uh, if you measure the distance between one corner of Sicily and the other, let's say from Trapani, which is the south, uh, the um, westernmost place, to Syracuse, which, which is the easternmost place of Sicily, mm-hmm. you have the same distance in kilometers that you have from Barolo to Valpolicella in the north of Italy. Wow! Yeah. So just figure it out. You have Barolo on one side. Uh, in Piedmont, and Valpolicella yeah. on the other side, which is in Veneto. And in the middle, you have 100% of northern Italian wines. All of them are different appellations because they are different wines. Right. In Sicily, you have the same distance, hmm. but only one appellation. It is totally impossible to yeah. recognize a Sicilian identity yeah. if you just taste wines from different places the problem is nobody knows about the different places right so it is easier probably for the public to just say sicilian wine Mm -hmm. sure but if you would put just a a little spotlight on the different places that are different because they they enjoy different climates and roots and traditions and cultures at that point you will recognize different terroirs and memphis is one of the special terroirs that we have in sicily Right. So uh, there's a horror movie out that's now called The Candyman. If you say, f- say it five times, you die. So I think we should get people to say Memphis 
five times and then they will discover great wine. So instead of you dying, you'll, you'll, you'll explode with life. Cause um, I want people to look for uh, Memphi on the, on the label. Mm-hmm. I want them to look for your wines. Um, but uh, again, one of these battles that you're, you have is um, you, there was a great article that you were commenting on about Pasito and uh and just to how it's just, you know, it's not ice wine. It's, 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 it's kind of a lack of identity um, in Sicily. And you had this great quote where you said, it's uh, Sicilian people, they have this uh, atavastic passion uh, for kicks in the gums, a congenital form of masochism, which <laughs> I just love because it just kind of explains this because it's steeped in this uh, atavistic kind of traditional idea, but they just continual fight um, and, and hurt themselves. And, and, and as you said in this article, I mean, there's a guy making Pasito and he's bringing the or he's bringing his grapes to Sweden. I mean, could it get more criminal than this? And, and you're the like the loudest voice fighting against this, it seems, uh, which is bravo to you. And I, I think that's why people don't mess with you. <laughs> you know, it, it is sometimes it, it, it is easier. It looks easier to just follow the rules and to follow the mass and to go into the big market saying, I am I am another producer of Sicilian wines. We are so many. Uh, the fact is uh, the, the, the wines here are so diverse and so unique. Um, they, of course, are Sicilians because they are made in Sicily, but they are made at the seaside. They are made in an extraordinary terroir with a, a specific culture and specific grape varieties. Um, and the way, uh, one of the most interesting, and I, I believe it's the variety that is mm-hmm. typical here in Zolia. You don't find in Zolias in Sicily just like the one that you find here. It is right. impossible. In Zolia comes from, from Greece. Uh, it is called Roditis in Greece, and still they grow Roditis. Oh, yeah, uh, sure. Roditis is uh, a variety that wants the sea. She wants the sea brine. Uh, Inzolia lives on the beach in Memphis with no water. She drinks salty waters from the ocean. I love it. This is the only grape variety that can survive drinking brackish salty water, which is, I mean, I, I have That's no insane. words. You just have to come here and see by yourself. I've... So uh, this very, very special relationship and this unique expression of that grape variety, for instance, makes this place special and i understand there are not many people probably i'm one of the fewest who speaks about that but i believe this place is worth the effort well that's that's why they have to say memphis five times and what makes it so special is to your point exactly what you were just chatting about um you know, I mean, I drink a lot of wine. You do, you do as well. And I, I have like, uh, sometimes I'll be at a restaurant and someone's, oh, we have a Zabibo by the glass and I get it and it's got no acid and it's just floral and it just, it's just, and this is the problem, um, you know, of mass produced wines. Uh, so um, bravo to you. Politically, politically speaking, uh, it is, uh, it was considered easier for the, major, the most part of Sicilian producers to just uh, market their wines by the varietal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is uh, an old, um, you know, an old uh, discussion that we have had in the past, for let's say, in the past 20 years. It is, easier, is it easier to, to market the wines just calling them by the varietal, for instance? Is it easier to say Nero Davola? Or it is easier to say, this variety grows here. 
How can you let one terroir uh, affirm its personality either than you don't call it by its name? That's what the Etna has done. Etna will never market their wines with Narello Mascalese on the label. Etna will market their wines with Etna because the Narello Mascalese, the gloss on the Etna, is only there. Even if you can find Narello Mascalese all over Sicily. But it is never the same. And it's the same like Memphis. Memphis you can find... I, I would say, and I am very proud to say, the most beautiful and probably the best in Zolia that you find in Sicily. But if you don't say it is from Memphis, nobody would ever know right. about how unique and how special it is. I, and I think um, just talking about wine people in general, it's, uh, it's, you, you never put the varietal first uh, for real mm-hmm. wine drinkers because that's just, it's putting the cart before the horse. I mean, where the wine is from is more important than the varietal. Because at your point, if you mention the place, we know a varietal. If you're in Piedmont, you know it's Nebbiolo. If you're in yeah. Burgundy, it's going to be Chard or Pinot, with a couple exceptions. But um, that's why, again, the Memphi uh, DOC is, is so um, important. Um, let's talk about some of your other wines. What are your favorites? I mean, because I just want people to know what you make. Um, and uh, T. Edward brings the uh, wines in, uh, in uh, on the East Coast and super happy to represent those wines. They are uh, brilliant and uh, it's just, uh, just such a unique uh, wine. But I know you have Pericone. You have Pericone. I, have Pericone. A, I have a crush in Pericone because Pericone is not easy. Mm-hmm. It is a little grumpy sometimes. It is a very uh, diverse wine. I mean, in sense, it changes personality throughout the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning, it can be a little easier going. Then it becomes complex after one, two years after the harvest. It gets spices and a lot of uh, uh, intensity. Then after three, four years, it relaxes a little bit and then it becomes great. Yeah. So it is a, a challenging a great variety. Um, it's um, divide. It's like a divided personality between being um, sunny wine because it. I mean, it gets ripe. It is sunny here, uh, but it has the tanning of Sangiovese. So it's mm-hmm. like you having a Sangiovese uh, from uh, Collidor, or Colline Senesi. So it's like the Sangiovese from Siena, but right. with a more taller personality, which is uh, very interesting. Uh, and it is a wine that can age. So also, I I really like Pericone very much, and I and I believe this this can be a very interesting. If you like a red wine, uh, it's a very interesting uh, approach uh, for Menfiteroir. Well, we, you know, also just just talking about we could check check about climate change that everybody's mm-hmm. incredibly concerned with, particularly on the wine side, well, the world in general. But I mean, look at Germany with the floods, and then just this, the, the the you've had three hot vintages in a row. Your saving grace is your proximity to the Mediterranean. If you are much further yes. inland, you have real issues. The problem here is uh, climate change, but also the loss of uh, soil fertility. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is if you are doing uh, intensive agriculture and cha- climate is changing, um, the vegetal organism will take some time to adapt to new conditions. In the meanwhile, you are losing uh, fertility in the soil. So everything becomes uh, uh, very, very difficult year after year. Um, trying to move, uh, trying to switch from a more intense uh, agriculture model to um, more, let's say, respectful agriculture model. This will be 
very much of help trying to adopt uh, sustainable farming practices, better organic farming practices, even better biodynamic farming practices. I am talking general. Uh, I'm not, not talking about myself, but I'm talking general yeah. here. That would be uh, of help because it will enhance uh, soil fertility, the adaptation of the vegetal organisms, and in general, the health of the environment around us. Right. Um, agriculture is uh, very important in Sicily because it is the, probably the main uh, occupation for people. It is not only viticulture, of course, it is also olive oil production and it is a vegetable production. Uh, it is 100% <clears throat> farming. I mean, we, we produce sure. a lot of crops since mm -hmm. the antiquity. Trying to move from a more intensive agricultural model to bio, uh, biological, let's say organic sure. or biodynamic agricultural model, this will be of, of help and will help not only um, us, but will benefit um, mm. the communities uh, in general and the environment yeah. uh, overall. Mm, sure. Trying to... Um, to plant more trees, for instance, trying to um, taking care of the uh, what we call the abandoned areas sure. um, that are not cultivated anymore, but they shouldn't be abandoned. They should be taken care of. Mm -hmm. All of that yeah. would uh, a, really make the issue. difference. It's a very, it very is, big issue. It is a, it is a big, big issue, yes. Um, so... Uh, before we, uh, leave, I always ask my guest, uh, uh, let's, uh, pretend, uh, you know, the, the good Lord comes to you and says, Marilena, we are, you are going to leave the planet tomorrow. And thank you so mm -hmm. much for uh, Enzolia, <laughs> but we need you, we need you to come to heaven. Uh, it's your last day on earth. So I want to know what would you eat for your last meal? What would you drink for your last meal? And okay. what would you listen to? Music-wise, um, I I would listen to Pink Floyd because it's probably the the closest to heaven music uh, ever played on Earth in the in the past six years. Pink Floyd, uh, Mozart or the Pink Floyd, one okay. of uh, one or the other, but the Pink Floyd probably better than okay. Mozart. Um, I would eat uh, pane e olio, so good olive oil and good bread. Yep, and a little salt sprinkled in it. Okay, that's it. Uh, and I think I will drink. Some old marsala. Oh, okay. Just uh, not too far. From old, yeah. Yes, not too far. Old winemaking, uh, traditional uh, big barrels, no sulfites. Maybe, hopefully, 80, 100 years old. Wow. Okay. I'd like to do that. That's a, that's a really good one. Um, so before we exit, I, wanted, I want people to be able to find you. So... Um, Give us your, your website and your Instagram and let everyone uh, hunt down these wines. So my website is, website is uh, www.cantinebarbera.it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I am Marilena Barbera. So you will find me like Marilena Barbera almost everywhere. Twitter, Instagram, uh, Facebook, uh, winery in Memphis. Please come over. I'm, oh we, will, we will have bread and olive oil. That's it. And all fine. <laughs> Perfect, because I, I, you know, as soon as I can travel, I will come see you. I'm looking at that 
that yes. coast and the beach and it's uh um it's so crazy and it's not crazy populated either so i uh, i need to come uh well thank you so much for being on dotj podcast i appreciate it all right ci vediamo presto ciao have a great time <laughs> bye ciao thanks again for listening Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar.